I must say, I had a, a couple of different gatherings I was at, uh, one on Saturday night and a, uh, a lovely brunch on Sunday. But the topic of conversation anywhere and everywhere that I went was corona, coronavirus, and COVID-19. Everybody talking about the uh, latest cases uh, here in Ontario. Four more uh, revealed yesterday. And a lot of folks uh, wondering about uh, travel arrangements, uh, particularly as we're now into March, second day of March today. And spring break week is uh, fast approaching. Uh, I think it's kind of a rotating thing, right? Not every school board's out on the same week. Oh, is that what they do now? I believe so. Hmm. Uh, so anyways, there's a lot of families uh, concerned about maybe getting on an airplane and looking at uh, whether or not uh, they can uh, cancel and get out of their uh, flights and their trip. So we thought we would uh, start here on this uh, Monday afternoon with a uh, another one of our Ask Us segments. And today it's Ask a Doctor Anything you would like to on a COVID-19. And here's Global News uh, Medical Specialist, Dr. Brett Belchetz, who joins us for this here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Dr. Belchetz, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. Uh, again, uh, 416-870-6400 for anybody who would like to call in and ask a doctor anything about the COVID-19. But I kind of wanted to start with you, Brett, uh, with, again, four more cases revealed here in Ontario yesterday. That brings the uh, number up to 24 right across the country. Should we be, uh, I don't know, any more concerned as uh, the number of cases uh, continues to rise? I don't think we need to be more concerned than we were a few days ago. The landscape here in Canada has not really shifted dramatically. We're still seeing only cases with a clear history of travel to other parts of the world that have been affected. Uh, So we are certainly doing better than many other countries around the world. That being said, some of the information that's come to light in other parts of the world over the last few days where we are starting to see community transmission without a clear source of infection. So, for instance, a number of cases in the United States where it is not tied to travel and where nobody knows where that infection originated, that is very concerning and should be concerning to all of us everywhere because at the point where we start seeing this sustained community transmission anywhere in the world, this suggests that this is an infection that probably is going to continue to spread into communities, not just in the U.S. and other countries, but also here eventually. So so these four cases, I would say, shouldn't change anybody's level of concern, but certainly developments around the world should make all of us worried that this is going to become a worldwide phenomenon. Okay, you talk about this getting uh, transmitted communally now. Uh, just exactly how is COVID-19? Uh, how is it transmitted? Well, that's one of the big questions, and I wish I had the answer for you today, but the reality is that the medical profession still is not 100% sure how this is transmitted from person to person. There are some theories, uh, but right now they are still theories, and the prevailing theories are that it likely has airborne transmission, meaning that when somebody with this infection coughs or sneezes, it goes into the air, and if you breathe in those particles, you will pick up the infection. The other common theory is that it probably is surviving on surfaces, meaning somebody who has the infection coughs or sneezes, uh, the particulates that they cough or sneeze out land on a doorknob, and you touch that doorknob, and then you touch your face, you will pick it up that way. What we don't know from either of those mechanisms of transmission is If it's airborne, how far can it spread in an airborne manner? Is it something like the flu where it's just a six feet radius? And so if you stay away from the immediate vicinity of somebody sick with this, you should be okay. Or is it something that spreads much farther and can float in the air for much longer? Um, On surfaces, we don't know how long it can live for. So again, if somebody uh, coughs onto a desk or onto a doorknob, and we disinfect it, uh, you know, six hours later, um, you know, during which period of that six hours between when they coughed and when we disinfected it, is it still alive? We, we don't know that. So we don't know how quickly we should be disinfecting surfaces or how often. So 
Uh, all of these are big questions uh, that still have to be answered in order for us to really get complete understanding and control of this outbreak. All right. And uh, why is it that it takes up to 14 days for somebody to get the all clear that uh, might look symptomatic, have some symptoms of a COVID-19? Why is it this 14 day waiting period? So this is all about what we call an incubation period. So an incubation period is the period in which you have been infected with uh, an infectious agent, but you don't show any symptoms. Uh, And that's always a dangerous thing in any infection, because during that time, people could potentially pass the infection to others and not even know that they were sick. And we don't 100% know the exact incubation period of COVID-19 yet, but what we have seen with the populations is that typically from all of the people that we've seen who we know were exposed, the latest that we've seen anybody actually develop the infection or develop symptoms is 14 days later, at least from what we've seen so far. So that is our hypothesis now, that if you are waiting waiting 14 days from the time somebody is exposed and they have not developed symptoms, it's a pretty fair statement to say that they are not going to get sick and they are not going to infect others. All right, here with Dr. Brett Belchitz, 640 Toronto Medical Experts. It's our Ask Us series, and today it's Ask a Doctor Anything on COVID-19. Let's welcome in a few phone calls, uh, starting with uh, Michael in Mississauga. Michael, uh, what's your question for the doctor? I, uh, that I haven't really heard an answer to, um, so I appreciate the opportunity. I, I, uh, I was wondering, if someone were to contract the coronavirus and then, sure enough, wait the 14-day period, and they get the all clear. Is it possible for that person to then catch it again, or is it one of those viruses that you know you you're, you really cannot catch twice? All right, thank you, Michael. Appreciate the phone call. Did you get that, Brett? Sorry. Unfortunately, I couldn't hear the question, so if you're able to just pass it on, that would be great. Absolutely, yes. Uh, The caller, Michael from Mississauga, was uh, wondering that if you get the all-clear after uh, 14 uh, days, is it possible that you could still contract uh, the virus, get uh, COVID-19, or is it kind of a a one-and-done sort of thing? It is possible, but not as part of that exposure. So so let's say I'm in a room with somebody who has COVID-19, or I'm on an airplane with somebody who has COVID-19. And 14 days later, I have not developed any symptoms. That means from that original exposure, it's it's one and done. I'm, I'm not going to get COVID-19 from that person that I was in a room with or on an airplane with. That does not mean that if somebody else happens to walk by me who has COVID-19 two weeks later, that I'm protected from that. So I still certainly could pick up COVID-19 from that next exposure. So that 14-day period, just to be very clear, only applies to one specific exposure. All right. Here's a Stephen Richmond Hill uh, next with the uh, doctor. Uh, Steve, uh, go ahead. You're on uh, Global News Radio uh, 640 Toronto. Uh, what's your uh, question regarding COVID-19? Well, actually, I just heard today that Sensol, surge, uh, Sensol might be helping that one lady over there. But my question is, in, in, when the plane landed here, the guy from Wuhan that landed went over to Sunnybrook, the next day they showed that plane getting sprayed down like crazy. But I've never seen anybody spraying down, no pictures of anybody spraying down Sunnybrook or any other hospital that's been with these people, but they spray the airplanes down like as if it was a, a bed termite infestation or what a bed bug infestation. Like it's just clouded the plane. Okay, and you're wondering uh, what sort of precautions are being taken, and thank you, Steve, uh, for your phone call uh, when it comes to uh, hospitals. Would that just be something that's sort of uh, routine because there's uh, you know potentially so many uh, viruses and bugs, uh, germs floating around a hospital, Brett? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And, and so, you know, the reason why you see an airplane being sprayed down top to bottom is we don't know what parts of that airplane that particular person had contact with, you know, which bathrooms they were in, et cetera. So we, we want to disinfect everything in that, in that airplane. Well, when somebody shows up to a hospital, and particularly in this case, uh, it's a very controlled journey. We walk them in the door. Usually they, we have a mask on them coming in from the front. So even if they cough or sneeze, we know it's contained inside the mask. They go to a very special room where they're isolated from the rest of the emergency room. And therefore, they are not able to, to mass contaminate multiple surfaces. So we have very good infection control and cleanup procedures for a room where a patient with an infection has actually been treated. And these are incredibly comprehensive where we wipe down every single surface in the room. We throw out a lot of the disposable items in the room and replace them with fresh items. And we've been using these kinds of procedures for many, many years to protect ourselves from a, a very broad variety of infectious agents, and they work very well. And so uh, what you're not seeing is the need to disinfect the entire hospital because that would certainly be impractical, but it's also not necessary because we have refined our procedures to the point where we really do limit the number of surfaces in a hospital that get exposed and need to be cleaned up in this manner. All right. Speaking of uh, procedures, just when it comes to individuals, uh, Brett, is the best defense, is it still hand washing at this point? It's definitely the the very best defense pretty much against all infectious agents. So I, I would recommend that people wash their hands frequently throughout the day. Uh, when you wash your hands, it's really important to wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. So when we look at the way that most people wash their hands, unfortunately, it's just not good enough. People, uh, they very briefly put their hands under soap and water. They, they scrub for a few seconds and then think it's done, which is certainly not enough. So 20 seconds where you wash off all of the surfaces of your hands is really important. Uh, other things that are really important uh, is just the decontamination of surfaces. So one of the really common ways that we all get sick is we get on the subway, we, we touch a, a pole on the subway, we, we open a door, we, we, you know, we touch the doorknob. All of these surfaces have probably been touched by hundreds, if not thousands of people. And if one of those people that touched that surface was somebody who was sick and had sneezed on their hand, you're going to pick up that bug. So decontaminating those surfaces, but also being very careful which surfaces you touch and making sure that, you know, if you're going to be on the subway, if you're going to be in public places, you probably wear a pair of gloves. Uh, you know, even your regular winter gloves is probably going to be good enough. All of these things are, are very helpful to stop yourself from picking up a virus like this. Joined on the line by 640 Toronto medical expert, Dr. Brett Belchetz. This is Ask a Doctor Anything About COVID-19. Taking your phone calls at 416-870-6400. And since we are talking about hand washing and your uh, best uh, defense, uh, should we stop, uh, and I don't want to be alarmist here, but uh, should we stop shaking hands, do you think, uh, Brett? Is that is that a risky behavior right now? It definitely is a risky behavior, and there's lots of people that, that talk about the idea that during an outbreak, you know, we should be doing an elbow bump or, or something where we, we don't touch surfaces that could actually pass infection from person to person. Uh, you know, I would say we're at the point, uh, you know, even in flu season before COVID-19 came along, where, you know, if you can avoid shaking hands with lots of people that you meet through the day, you're going to decrease your chance of getting infected. And certainly with COVID-19 on top of it, I would say probably a fairly wise idea that just when you're out and about, if you're meeting lots of people and interacting with them, that you don't shake hands. Now, if you do shake hands, this is where I double down on that hand-washing advice. Make sure that before you consider eating any food, touching your face in any way, or anything else that you do, make sure you wash your hands thoroughly or use a hand sanitizer. That will certainly stop or, or at least significantly reduce the chance that anything that you picked up from that other person will be something that's going to make you sick. Is there a recommended amount of hand washing? I mean, should I be thinking about doing this, uh, I don't know, like five times a day, that sort of thing? Is there a target that uh, people should be looking at? 
there really isn't a specific number. Uh, what it's really all about is what are you doing in the day. So if you're sitting at home in your own home and you know you're not exposed to surfaces that are communally touched by lots of different people, you probably don't need to be doing it any more than it's part of your regular routine, which is typically you know people will wash their hands before they eat, after they touch pets, or after they after they use the washroom. All of that is is the same as always. But if you are you know somebody who works, for instance, in a service industry where you are going to be touching lots of people's you know trays or service items or food items or money, uh, if you're tr- you know, traveling out in public places and public transit where you're touching lots of services. If you're somebody who shakes a lot of hands, as I spoke about, all of these times, if you are somebody that has a lot of exposures, you actually want to be doing it. There is no limit to how uh, frequently you should be doing it. You really should be trying to wash your hands almost after every time you are touching a surface that could be potentially contaminating your hands. All right, 416-870-6400. This is Ask a Doctor. Dr. Brett Belchett joins us here. Ask a Doctor anything about uh, COVID-19. Here is uh, Jen in Toronto. Uh, Jen, go ahead with your question for the doctor. Hi, thanks for the opportunity. Um, So I'm aware that some people are able to be self-quarantined. Do you feel like this is effective? Because, you know, some people that live by themselves, they can't do everything from their home. So they have to probably go outside and get something or buy something. So do you feel like this is an effective way? Um, Do you feel like there's something else that can be done? Okay, thank you, uh, Jenny. What do you think about uh, those that are self-quarantining right now, uh, Brett? Is that uh, effective in uh, stemming the tide? Yeah, it certainly is. It's something that we've done many times before for previous outbreaks. You know, I was working during the SARS uh, outbreak way back many years ago. And even during that outbreak, self-quarantine was part of our mechanism to contain that outbreak. And it was very, very effective in terms of keeping people who potentially were exposed away from others during their incubation period until we knew that they were safe. So certainly something that we want to do more of. Obviously, it has to be done in a thoughtful manner. People who are living alone or isolated, somebody needs to help them to make sure they have things like groceries, food, etc. Um, people who are living with others in the home, uh, we have to take the appropriate precautions in the home that they don't infect others in the home while they're self-quarantined. So there's a lot of things that have to be done thoughtfully. But not only that, um, self-quarantine is essential because we just don't have enough facilities in our healthcare system for everybody that needs to be quarantined to be taking up a hospital bed. If that were to happen, unfortunately, we just wouldn't have enough space for those who are actually ill. So, you know, not only is it effective, it's just a necessity to keep our healthcare system working. All right, got an email here from uh, Katrina who is uh, listening in this afternoon and uh, wanted to ask, uh, she was listening to our conversation about, uh, you know, some of this uh, on surfaces and you've got to be careful about uh, touching surfaces. She wants to know that uh, if you receive a shipment from China, something that uh, maybe you purchased on uh, Amazon, uh, are you uh, perhaps at risk? Well, that's a really good question, and and the answer is we really don't know, because if we go back to earlier in our discussion, one of the things that we don't know about this virus is how effectively it lives on surfaces, excuse me, how long it can survive on a surface for. So it could be that this is something that survives on a surface for only a few hours, and, you know, if you're receiving a package from China, that virus is long dead. It could be something that survives for days, in which case you certainly might be at risk. The other thing around shipping is typically when packages are shipped, they're often air shipped or other mechanisms of shipping that may expose those packages to relatively extreme temperatures. We, again, don't know how effectively this virus can survive different temperatures. So, you know, if it's a virus that the the cold that it will experience during air shipping will kill that virus, you have no risk. But again, this is something that we don't know. So my advice, if you are going to be receiving a package from China, is probably you want to disinfect that package and that shipment before you start touching it with your bare hands. And, you know, again, going back to some of just the common things that we all should be doing is trying to limit how frequently we touch our face, touch our mouth, touch our nose, because 
that is one of the key ways that we transmit infection from our hands into our body. So if you are going to be unwrapping that package from China, uh, disinfect whatever you can. And then before you ever touch your face or touch your mouth, make sure that you're washing your hands and disinfecting your hands or anything else that those surfaces have touched. Because again, that's how you're going to transmit this from being something where there is a virus uh, that's just on a surface to a virus that's inside of you. Right, Brett, I got a couple of emails here uh, regarding uh, vaccine for COVID-19. Can you enlighten us all as to uh, where we are in that uh, process? I would say we're we're very early. You know, there are some uh, encouraging efforts underway. But, you know, if we look overall at vaccines for viruses, they're they're very difficult to engineer. They often take a, a lot of testing to show that they work. Uh, there is a lot of mutation on the part of these viruses. So a lot of the time, even if we do develop an effective vaccine, often the virus will mutate and we find that it's not effective for very long. So absolutely, those kinds of efforts are underway. But, you know, if we look at some of the other viral infections that are out there where we've been trying to develop uh, vaccines for a very long time. So even if we look at, for instance, the HIV virus, um, not the same class of viruses, but certainly just a good example, we've been trying to develop a vaccine for decades and we still haven't succeeded. So so while I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that this is something that we should be working on and hopefully we'll have some fruits of that. I I don't think that we can look to a vaccine to be a near-term savior for all of us. I I think if it is ready, it's going to be ready quite a bit in the future, and it is not going to be ready in time to prevent a a lot of people from getting sick. All right, want to sneak one last call in. Here's Morris in North York. Uh, Morris, your question for Dr. Brett Belchitz. Ask a doctor anything about COVID-19. Go ahead. All right, I think we've uh, lost uh, Morris, but I see on my screen, Brett, he wanted to know just uh, why we don't now know how long this uh, virus is going to last. Is it just because, like we've been talking back and forth here for the last 10, 15 minutes, is that there's just so many unknowns about COVID-19 or the coronavirus? Yeah, there's so many unknowns. You you know, we we don't know all of these basics around incubation period, um, how infective it is, what percentage of people exposed to the virus will actually get sick. One of the question marks that's out there is, can you get sick with this twice? So with many viral infections, you get a lasting immunity if you've had it once and you don't get sick again. We don't even know if that's the case with this. So there is a small chance that people who get sick could actually be sick multiple times, in which case this will last much longer. So there's just so much that we don't know. And so anybody who is going out and making an estimation now of how long this is going to last for really is stepping outside of the bounds of what would be reasonable to guess at this point in time. All right. So many unknowns, so many questions. Dr. Brett Belchitz, appreciate you carving out a uh, significant amount of time for us the, uh, this afternoon at your busy day to uh, help us uh, gain a little more understanding regarding uh, COVID-19. Uh, Brett, uh, thanks again for this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You take care. And you as well. There goes uh, Dr. Brett Belchitz, 640 Toronto medical expert on Ask a Doctor Anything About COVID-19.